This episode of the AT Tips Cast is sponsored by the Practical and Fun Guide to Assistive Technology in Public Schools. Pirates, monsters, monkeys, and more keep you engaged as you learn tips, strategies, and insights that will help improve your assistive technology program. From setting up a stellar team to conducting consultations and evaluations, and from implementation to assessing success, this guide presents detailed advice to provide AT services that effectively and efficiently help all students. You can learn more about the book with the orange cover from the website www.isti.org slash chewat. That's isti.org slash chewat. And you can continue the experience online by connecting with other readers by liking the book on Facebook. Go to bit.ly slash atbookfb. That's bit.ly slash atbookfb and become part of the community that's having fun being practical. Hello and welcome to the AT Tips Cast, where we explore free or nearly free tools and strategies that educators can use to provide more options to all learners. I'm your host, Chris Bouguet. This is episode 147, recorded on August 13th, 2015. Hey, I'm back! This is the first episode of season 9 of the AT Tips Cast. Sorry I didn't officially give word that season 8 was coming to a close, but I got swept up in preparing for the big trip to Australia and New Zealand over the summer. But I'm back now sort of. More on that later. Now, on to the rest of the episode. This episode is all about science. It features the audio from an interview with Margie Schmiel, the Associate Director of Curriculum and Communications for the Smithsonian Institution. We got together to discuss the launch of Good Thinking, the Science of Teaching Science web series. As you'll hear, this is a free, engaging, and entertaining new web series designed to support science educators, which addresses the need for accessible professional development tools that help teachers break down barriers to understanding scientific principles and increase their classroom skills. This first-of-its-kind series comprises short, animated videos that explore pedagogical ideas across a range of subject matter topics like energy, cells, and gravity, as well as cognitive research findings on topics like student motivation or the myth of left- and right-brained people. Good Thinking shines a light on classroom challenges teachers face and provides solid, science-based ideas that keep their teaching on track. The series was designed for K-8 science education, but as you'll hear in the interview, it can be used in other settings as well. I think you'll see that it deepens the understanding of STEM topics, that's science, technology, education, and math, for teachers and students alike. Also, you know her, I love her, Melissa Bouguet, a special education teacher who team teaches in a conceptual physics class, also participates in the interview as a special guest host. I hope you enjoy the interview as you hear all about AT Tip 467, the new web series, Good Thinking, the Science of Teaching Science. All right, so welcome everybody to this uh, video episode of the AT Tips Cast. I'm joined with my wife, hi, Melissa, uh, and today we are featuring a special interview with Margie or Margaret. What's the best way to how do well, you introduce Margie, yourself? Margie's great, sure. Margie and the last name is Schmiel. Schmiel, that's what I was gonna say. I am. I would have had it right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we are uh, partners in that club that most people probably botch our last names. Right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, so, Margie, you're with the Smithsonian Science Education Center. Is that right? Correct. Yep. 
Yeah. And so what is that? What does that do? What is your what does your job entail? What is that organization? Tell us all about it. Sure thing. So um Really, before I came to Smithsonian, I sort of pictured it as one giant, maybe marble museum out on, you know, in, in Washington, D.C. Um, but it's actually 39 uh, museums, research complexes, and centers. And so we're one of those centers. And we're the only center that's focused exclusively on formal education. So all of the museums, all of the research um, centers have got components that look at informal education, ways to connect with enthusiasts, um, teachers, and students. But the Smithsonian Science Education Center is dedicated 100% to K-8 teachers, students, and classrooms. Nice. Gotcha, K-8. Interesting. Wow. Okay, so not high school. Um, we do some programs occasionally with high school, but our biggest priority really is at the sort of elementary and middle school level. Um, and that comes from our history. We started in about 1985, and we were a partnership organization that sort of sprung out of Smithsonian and the National Academies of Science. Um, and we um, had a special focus on elementary education because, um, as you guys probably know, elementary teachers are typically experts in literacy or math, um, developmental psychology, that sort of thing. But they don't, um, there aren't a lot of them that have a lot of expertise or time to um, have prepared to teach science. So our organization kind of came around in order to um, assist those teachers when they find themselves teaching science. Cool. Okay. And so, you, uh, so what are some of the ways you help the teachers in general? Yeah, there, well, there are a bunch of ways. I mean, you know, the our primary focus is on what we call inquiry-based science education, which the sort of quick way to understand it is that we believe that children teach science the way that scientists do science. Um, I saw an article very recently posted that advocated for teaching uh, science the way that we would teach a sport or dance or, you know, figure skating. And that's that you never sit down and, you know, learn how to read, how to do a triple axel and then, you know, go, go, go at it. You know, that's not how we, you have um, to do it. exactly. You have to do it. And actually the way that, um, that a lot of the research is talking about it now is that they really talk about the practices of science and practices is such a great term because it really emphasizes the fact that you cannot separate the learning from the doing. Um, and it also emphasizes the fact that it's something that you need to grow better at all the time. So that's sort of, um, again, when we started in 1985, that was our, our big thrust was to really raise awareness around why it's important to teach science the way that science is done. And in order to do that, teachers need a lot of support. You know, they, so we don't focus on just the curriculum materials and just the professional development. That's certainly something that we do. Um, and the Good Thinking series is part of that. But we actually focus a lot on leadership development because none of this is happening if you don't have um, principals and superintendents that support teachers in doing this, um, that support them getting the materials that they're going to need to do this. And we also focus a lot on community development as well because a lot of times, as I'm sure you guys know, teachers and um, not teachers, but principals and superintendents will come and go. They've got initiatives that they start and then restart and then do different ones. So it's really important for us to have a community base, and that usually in, involves local companies, local businesses, as well as um, academics, different institutions, and parents um, as a key to be the people that are in there, you know, really advocating for their students to learn science in this way. Okay, so you you touched on the kind of the primary reason what we're yeah. what we're talking about today. The interview is about uh, the Good Thinking web series, the Science of Teaching Science, right? So tell us about that that series. What what is it? How did it come about? Absolutely. So um, our 
our unit was part of a five-year investing in innovation grant with Department of Education where we were um, implementing our sort of model for science education reform in three different regions, rural North Carolina, northern New Mexico, and Houston Public Schools. And um, we did a lot of really in-depth professional development with the teachers there. So we would introduce them to sort of their, give them a, a rough idea of what their curricular materials are going to be um, during a week in the summer. And then we brought them back the next week in the summer, and we got really in-depth at sort of an adult learning level about the science behind what they were doing. So even though you're learning about, you know, even though you're teaching second grader, we're still going to get into static electricity, you know, at this level that we know that you as, as an adult learner can understand even though your students might not necessarily be doing it. And when I first saw that training, it was actually my first year um, at the Smithsonian Science Education Center, and I was really blown away by how deep and meaningful that professional development was because they were getting into things that, you know, I had taught, I had done a master's degree, and then I went and um, did a full-time graduate degree and got to study with people that did some of the um, pioneering research on things like conceptual ch change. And it wasn't until then that I was learning the stuff that I was watching these elementary school teachers getting as part of their professional development over the summer. So I was really blown away with how valuable and wonderful that was. Cool. Um, but so one of the problems, of course, is that there, you know, in a lot of these districts, there's certainly teacher turnover. Um, you know, either they leave the profession or they go to a different school, or you'll have spent a lot of time um, doing professional development for a teacher that is about to go to second grade and then finds out the week before school starts that she's in fifth grade. So yeah. <laughs> there's this tremendous need, um, you know, and there's sort of the surface level of, of what we do, the kind of like how to with curriculum, that is, is one thing because you can sort of pick that up as you go. Any skilled teacher can pick that up as they go. But these sort of deeper things where we were getting into the scientific um, research behind how to teach science very well, that is stuff that's typically locked up in a journal. And the teachers got this week to talk about it with their peers. But what happens when you don't have that? Right. You know, what does it look like to have that content available? Um, and so that's where we kind of really started thinking about, well, how do we, how do we make that level of thing available to someone that didn't have the opportunity to spend a week learning about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so you thought, hey, a web series will do it because right. people can then uh, uh, take it, look at that that video whenever they want, and 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 share it with each other yeah. and learn from it uh, on their own. Yeah, I mean, so web was kind of um, an obvious answer because for all the reasons that you mentioned, it's evergreen. It's always online. You can access it whenever you need it, and people increasingly have access to that. You know, on their phone if they're taking public transportation or whatever. Um, but, you know, then a couple of other questions and, and layers started to get peeled, peeled back, which is how do we make it something that's, that's engaging, right. um, that doesn't feel preachy, um, right. you know, and we also know that there are a lot of resources out there. So we know, for example, that there might be some good um, TED-Ed videos that are sort of straight from the, the researcher's mouth and they're presenting it and delivering it beautifully, you know, but it's a speaker yeah. that's talking about things. So we started thinking about what are some of the values that we can add. And my background is that I'm a chemistry teacher. And so I've always spent a lot of time thinking about how to marry the macro and micro worlds together when I talk to people. Um, and, you know, my specialty is in a science that's essentially invisible. Um, and so animation has always been an intriguing way for me to communicate these ideas because you can have, you know, you can talk about 
par particulate nature of matter and you know atoms getting excited as they're getting heated and moving faster and at the same time you know have a kettle or whatever blowing steam and then start to marry some some of those ideas together so we figured with animation our boundaries would be um, completely wide open you know if we wanted to talk about black holes we could talk about black holes yes. um, and likewise, some of the metaphors that we use, like a conceptual ecology and looking at a child's mind as an ecosystem, are things that could be conveyed in a very lovely way in um, animation that otherwise would be limited. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, so just a couple of things there that I completely agree with, right, is that just today I came home um, telling Melissa, she's like, well, how was your day? And I said, yeah, you know, I watched this YouTube video today on a... Um, an introduction to something I have to review mm -hmm. and I was looking and I was going it's so dry and boring and it's like why does education have to be that way right okay. and so when you look at the good thinking web series oh, it's completely yes. the opposite of that it's completely yeah. engaging second thing you mentioned um, was like okay there's lots of good science videos out there with good content you mentioned right. like TED, TED videos but typically those are some like especially the TED videos they might be like 18 minutes long right yeah. and so Length is a concern because, especially if you're working in a K-8 environment, like, like I always say, eight is enough. Like the first thing you do when you look on YouTube is not see what the content is, but you see how long. <laughs> long yeah, yeah. More than eight minutes, chances are I'm going to check out. You know what I mean? Yes. So, um, how long are your your typical videos? Um, I think typically they get about seven minutes. They did start getting long, you know, because um, and and that was something that we were really conscious about. Um, and we had to do a lot of winnowing and sifting um, because we were trying to get a lot of science content in there and we were pretty ambitious as well so we worked with um, a company called Fable Vision Studios and they do a lot of educational media they have expertise in writing um, writing for animation and they've got actually had someone um, on staff that won an Emmy um, for writing for television and so there was a lot of back and forth because we would give them outlines and some scripts that delivered the science content, and then they would come back and um, I think more than just jazz it up, right? Yeah, but make it make it compelling, make it intriguing. You know, force us to give um, not force us, but encourage us to give you know the different inanimate objects, personalities, and think that through and think about how to make it intriguing. So you start to really pack a lot of content in now because you know you've got you you've got. Um, character motivations and storylines and science and pedagogy all getting layered in there yeah totally and so me i i teach um i team teach because i'm a special ed but i team teach in um, a conceptual physics class and last year i team taught with a chemistry class as well and so i i looked at these from my point of view is sure. I use these and I was totally taken with the very first one that I looked at because of course I'm choosing things energy because that's what oh, we yeah. do in physics. So um, I was totally taken immediately. It captures you immediately. But how were I noticed a diverse amount of topics? Mm -hmm. How did you choose those topics? Um, because they cover quite a a few different sciences as you get into high school, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so we we knew that we wanted to focus on misconceptions. And one of the women that I work with, um, her name is Gina Flanagan, and she actually worked um, at the American Association for the Advancement of Science when they were cataloging a lot of the most common, commonly held misconceptions that children had. So she had direct, you know, sort of not encyclopedic knowledge of all the stuff that we knew were major misconceptions. 
But what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to say, hey, kids have this crazy idea. What are you going to do? You know, we wanted to make sure that we targeted places where we also had research about how to work with those misconceptions um, and strategies that could be implemented. So those were the sort of content topics that we really focused on. And then we also focused on some more general pedagogy ones that we felt like were ones that kind of, in our mind, um, inhibited sort of a successful execution of, um, of, of science teaching. And so mm -hmm. one that it's weird, I've, I've gotten a ton of positive feedback on, but I actually am starting to hear some negative feedback on the one that we did on learning styles. Like oh, if, no, I love that one. We love that one. That one was great. Right. You nailed it. <laughs> like if you guys are running your own podcast and we're on the same page with that one. But um, but yeah, but I mean, that's I think that's the only negative YouTube comment that we have right now where um, oh. the person, you know, was uh, um, felt like it wasn't fair to just sort of dismiss them out of hand. But we've been really meticulous about whenever we say something, we make sure, first of all, that it's pulled straight out of research papers. So these aren't our right. opinions. That would be a different show, um, maybe someday. But um, yeah, but so these are straight out of you know research papers, and then in many cases, again, um, this is what Jean had led the effort on was finding the researchers who did that work and having them look at our script with the jokes and everything to kind of go through and make sure that you know we're representing things fairly. So you know things like learning styles. We've got another one that I did a little bit of work on that's coming out shortly on right brain versus left brain and getting past that myth. Because it's another one where we feel it can be destructive sometimes where students will write themselves off and think, well, I'm a creative person. I can't possibly love science. Um, exactly. And that breaks into a million pieces. Yeah. Um, yeah they they very themselves. creative. And, you know, and creative writing is very analytical. So um, not only are those stereotypes not true, but the science doesn't bear out either. And then things, um, things like motivation are, that's another one that'll be coming out um, pretty soon actually on PBS learning media, um, which is one that we think will have appeal to, you know, parents as well. Mm -hmm. So um, some of those gen more general kind of developmental psych uh, pieces. Well, let's talk about that for a second. There's what, seven videos currently at the time of, the, of this recording. How many more do you have planned, planned out? We have a total of 15 that'll be coming out through the end of December of this year. Okay, and any plans beyond that, or? Um, no, I, that's we're definitely we've got a topic list that's much bigger than that, and a lot of things that we'd love to do. Um, but yeah, we're sort of looking around for you know for resources to be able to continue the series. So speaking of resources and me being a teacher, I mean, I I started in elementary, so yeah, I taught fourth and fifth grade, um, and I taught second as well. Um, but I just I love it. I, lo I love the series. I love the whole idea of it. Are there lesson plans or, you know, curriculum guides coming out with it? Do you have any plans for that? Any other or? instructional materials? Yeah, that's a good question. Right for right now, I think we, we kind of need to learn more about how it's working for teachers, I think, to be really okay. effective. So what we're starting okay. by doing is putting together um, some just um, discussion guides, because one of the places that we feel like this might fit in are for people's um, professional learning communities, or you know whatever you know the different um, names are for that for those around schools. But you know teachers sort of talking together and and learning together. Um, so that's where we're getting started is just getting these discussion guides out there, and then we kind of want to learn you know sit back and learn and see what else we can do to make these more effective. Right. I can definitely see these in the classroom being, you know, a great supplemental 
material to back up what you're saying and just in a, uh, another media another voice um yeah well, the way videos are being used in classrooms nowadays are actually um i mean obviously they're used in classrooms like traditionally they have been but there's this whole idea of the flipped classroom where right. Uh, students would watch the video ahead of time and then come in and, mm -hmm. and discuss it because it is so accessible now. Right. And these fit perfectly into that. I mean, yeah. A perfect homework assignment would be to watch this video with your parents. You yeah. know, it's, it'll yeah. take you a whole 10 minutes to do. You know? Yeah. We, we got, and there's, we have one episode that's coming out on metacognition where Miss um, Reyes, the main character, is struggling to think about her students' misconceptions. So she goes on, like, whatever we called it, like, school tube and he pulls up a video. So we it, we went really meta with that episode to talk about <laughs> metacognition because we did we assume, that, um, <laughs> we assume that teachers would use this with their with their kids and I think we want to learn more about what that means. Um, I know one of the concerns that was raised for us was well if you talk about misconceptions isn't that going to like cause misconceptions to fester but you know, the, right, thanks. <laughs> yeah. clearing, no. You're clearing them up. Right. So that's the thing for students, they need to be able to confront these ideas head on and, and see you know, how they're thinking about things, particularly in a way that's non-threatening. Um, so if you're watching a video and you see a, you know, a, a child on the video misunderstanding something and knowing you know, what the misunderstanding is and then working through it yourself, you, you know you're not the only one that had that feeling and you never even had to cop to it. So. Absolutely. Let me. You had mentioned that you were, you guys were interested in learning how teachers are using it. How would you want them to communicate that to you? I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I have a plan of yeah. already how I'm going to use two of your videos in, oh, just in conceptual classroom. Yeah. Um, and they're not. And let me just put that out there that I know that you say it's K through eight, but these are great to be silly with. Sometimes your high schoolers need that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Green break, you know. Um. And so it's a, just a great way to break it down. How, how would you want the teachers to communicate that to you? I mean, how, if I'm going to communicate it back to you and say, hey, this is how I used right. it today, well, yeah. how would I do that? You know, we're, we're very, we're very hands-on. And I always say, you know, for a Smithsonian unit, we're small but mighty. So honestly, our, all of our emails are, on, um, are online on our website. Um, and we always look at our comments. And so if anyone ever wants to get in touch with us, absolutely um, go to our homepage, send us an email, tell us what you're thinking. Um, we'll probably come back at you with a bunch of questions. So you, know, you can be as involved or uninvolved as possible after you give us that suggestion as much as you want. But yeah, we do want to hear from people and we want to do things that work. I mean, this was, this was us trying something new, you know, so again, we just, we need feedback. Um, we thought it was a good way to go based on the fact that a lot of us are, you know, are former teachers and um, knowing what, what we want, what our friends want, um, you know, and what the people that we've been working with for all these years um, said they needed. But kind of what happens next is definitely something that we still want to learn more about. That's well, I'll put these links and everything into the blog post and okay. it goes along with this to the podcast episode. But just just to say it, you know, verbally, well, how do people get in contact with you in general? Where do they find this web series? Um, sure. So our um, homepage is scienceeducation.si.edu. Um, and you can go over to um, our resources page there and they live there. Um, you can subscribe. Please subscribe. Uh, to our YouTube channel. Um, we're also looking at posting the videos in a bunch of other um, video platforms like Vimeo. 
Um, of course, we're getting started on launching something um, with PBS Learning Media so that a lot of our stuff will be there along with the other fantastic resources they have. And if people have an idea for other places where we should be making these available because of your um, firewalls or whatever, let us know. We, um, you know we've got these. We, we want them to be used and useful. So. Okay. Awesome. This awesome. This has been wonderful. Yeah, Margie, we're so excited. I mean, we yeah. love the uh, love the videos. Absolutely yeah. love and them. And I'll be in touch with you. Please do. <laughs> yeah. No, we would love that, um, especially with your expertise. I hope you do follow mm -hmm. up. So yeah. yeah. I'm excited to see the metacognition one. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> but keep it up. I mean, this is exactly what education needs. So yeah, absolutely. Thanks yeah. for all you do. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Margie. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the interview, and I hope you check out the YouTube channel at bit.ly slash goodthinkingscience. That's bit.ly slash goodthinkingscience. Like I mentioned before, this is the first episode of Season 9 of the AT Tips Cast, but... I'm not sure how many more episodes will be coming out this season. I've decided that it's time to start archiving the AT Tips Cast episodes, and that process takes some time. If you're a longtime listener, you know that I've always thought professionals could use AT Tips Cast episodes for professional development. I know many people share links to individual episodes in reports or on consultations to support trainings or recommendations they've given. Unfortunately, hosting files costs money. But placing files on YouTube does not, and so I've decided to start making the switch. Making that switch, however, takes time, and there just doesn't seem to be as much of it as when I started this endeavor. Keep subscribed, as I do have more episodes planned, but I'm not sure when those will be coming out. I will get them out as often as I can, I can promise that. For now, though, head on over to YouTube, where you'll be seeing more classic episodes being posted over there. The link to the YouTube channel of the AT Tips Cast is bit.ly slash attipscast YouTube. That's bit.ly slash attipscast YouTube. Until next time, may all your strategies be supportive, may all your interventions be inclusive, and may you always remember to watch stuff on YouTube. <laughs>